we kicked off a series last week that I told you was going to be hard, and it has been hard. This week has been hard, and there's been attack. I didn't even leave the pulpit last week without getting an attack from it, and and, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, I, I, I have so fought it, and I told you this for a while, I have fought this because I know that in order sometimes to get the truth out about Jesus, I've got to tell the truth about me, right? And, I'm, and we're going into this season, in just a week, we're going to start launching our Grow, Go, and Sow. We're going to hit some sermons that are very strong on that, but God laid it very heavily on my heart that the testimony of the church is being hidden because we are covering up the scars of our lives. We're trying to pretend that they are not there, but they are. They're real. You have hurts. You have wounds. And we talked about that last week, about wounds and what you can do and how you can make steps. And we, we called out the admission, right? Admit. Get accountability. Hey, go ahead and, 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 and make some changes. Get some amendments. Put some boundaries up in your life. It's got to be there. There's a verse in John that I'm going to echo today. We're going to go back and look at the story of Thomas, but we're also going to add a few more people from the Bible into this story today. We're going to talk about Paul, and we're going to talk about David, and we're going to go into their dirt. We're going to go into their laundry, and we're going to bring out the message of God that would not be in existence today had it not been for the mistakes and failures they made in their lives. And so understand this. Last week we said a wound is something that needs healing. It is not a testimony. You cannot share a wound and expect somebody to bring healing or find healing from your story. Matter of fact, write it down this way. Wounds create other wounds. All right, if I'm wounded, I'm going to bleed out on you. Let me give you a story. When I was 14, 15, 16 years old, somewhere in that range, I took three karate lessons from a black belt at our church. He came over to our fellowship hall and he taught me three karate lessons. So naturally, as any stupid male could be, I thought I was Chuck Norris after three. My friend came to the church. We were doing a work day. His name's Shay, and we were the same age, and we were tight. You couldn't find one of us without the other. And, and Shay had a pocket knife that was, you know, a little bit longer, maybe a five, six-inch blade. I don't know. It was longer, and he was holding it. And I looked at him, and I said, I know how to kick that out of your hand. I said, I was taught I can de-arm you. Literally, the last lesson was if somebody came at you with a knife, here's how you do it. Um, so I said, hold it out like this. So he held it out like this, and I gave the best roundhouse I could possibly do, and I kicked that hand, and the knife came out. But when it came out, it sliced him all the way down to the lower parts of his thumb area as it hit the ground. Immediately realizing what had happened, I knew I was in trouble right? He's going to go tell my parents, I'm never going to get another karate lesson. Now he's bleeding everywhere. And I looked at him and like a good friend did, I said, don't tell anybody, <laughs> right? Like you can't say a word. And like a good friend that he was, he stuck his hand in his pocket. And so we walked around for about 30 minutes with his hand in his pocket, trying to act innocent, trying to pretend nothing happened. But eventually as we were walking around with hand in pocket, blood from hand became to come out of the pants. And they bled through. And all of a sudden, somebody looked down and said, Shay, there's blood all over your pants. What's going on? And he pulls out his hand to reveal a wound that needed several stitches and some doctor attention. Um, I'm not going to tell the rest of the story because it doesn't go well for me. But the truth is this. I feel like sometimes in our lives, we do that. We think, okay, you know what? The best thing I can do with my hurt is hide it. And if I hide it, nobody will get affected. I'm going to tell you this right now. Write it down. You will bleed out, and you will bleed through, and you will bleed on people every single time. 
If you came in today and you're going through something hard and you got a wound in your life and you're trying to put it in your pocket, you're going to bleed on somebody. It's going to come through. You cannot hide it. Neither can I. Pain is unavoidable. We teach this in our fourth week, fifth week of our uh, overcoming class. That's on Mondays at six. We talk about how pain is unavoidable. Ready? Please write this down. If you spend your life trying to avoid pain, you will only inflict more. Every single time. You cannot avoid it. We use it this way. The athlete that favors an injury normally ends up with a worse one. Somebody that tries to pretend like they don't have a weakness normally ends up really hurt. Matter of fact, you've heard us say this. Hurting people, finish it. Hurt people. Bleeding people, bleed on people. Have you ever taken your bad mood from work home? All right, where's the guilty? Have you ever taken your bad mood from some occasion of your life out on somebody else? Or ladies, guys, have you ever read a romance novel or watched a love story and hate your husband or wife at the end of it? All right, come on, all the laughing guilty people. All right, it's like, why doesn't he love me like that? You know, he's not paid to like they are. I'm just going to tell you that. You pay him millions of dollars, he'll love you all day long. I used to say that about Thomas Rhett. My wife would be like, he writes the sweetest love songs. He also makes like $16 million every time he shows up somewhere. All right, I can write you a love song. If that's all I got to do and you're going to pay me $16 million, here it comes, baby, get ready. Am I right? I can't be him. I can be better, but not him. And a lot of times we just try to mask. Um, I, you know, it's, you ask the alcoholic, do you have an alcohol problem? No, I got, I got this. You know, I can quit any time. You know what that's at? You're bleeding. Matter of fact, write this down. A scar develops into a testimony, but a wound develops into a crisis. If it's not dealt with, it's in trouble. I want you to also get this. If you're still having to put a Band-Aid on it, it is not a scar. It is a wound. In other words, if you're still having to cover it up, pretend it's not there. If you're still having to talk about it, as a matter of fact, we say this all the time. Even if it happened 20 years ago, but it's constantly in your conversation or in your mind, it is not your past. It is your present, and it must be dealt with. And a lot of times in our world, we're, we're, we're trying to give testimony of God from our wounds. We, we try to stand and we try to say, this is what God wants you to hear. And yet we do not say it's good enough for us to hear. And we try to lead others and help others, but we do not take the advice for ourselves. We tell people you need a therapist, but we don't have one of our own. We tell people you need a small group, but we don't show up. We tell people you need help, but we don't ask for help when we're in trouble. And the enemy has us so convinced that we're over it when actually we're under it. Mattresses are made to sleep on. If you get under one, you'll suffocate. And the thing is, is your circumstances and your grief, it's made for you to transition and heal. But if you get under it, it'll kill you. It'll kill your relationships. And I think we live in a world right now where wounded Christians are going out into the world trying to tell about the healing of God. People are trying to say God is good, and yet they're miserable. People's trying to say, hey, God can forgive, and yet they found no forgiveness for themselves. They found no healing for themselves. People say that God loves you, but yet they're telling everybody that nobody loves them. The truth is, from our wounds, we do not heal others, but from his wounds, we can find healing. And so today, we need to understand that as we move into the scar part two, we're talking about what scars should do. But if you are still hurting, it's not your testimony. It is your stumbling block. It is your roadblock, and it needs to be dealt with. How many of you understand? Say, got it. 
All right. I think a lot of people today think that the story of Jesus sounds a lot about what I've been through and what I've gone through. And we did this before. We did this testimony series at Grace probably six years ago, five years ago, I can't remember, where every Sunday night we had somebody else tell their testimony. And so what we got to and what we told them is start submitting your testimony. We told them what we found is a lot of people would stand up and tell everything that's ever happened to them, but nothing about what Jesus has done. You know what that is? A wound. It's not a testimony. You don't need to hear my life story. You do need to hear about where Jesus stepped into it. Part of my story, yes, but you don't need the details. You don't need the intimate things. You don't have to hear what happened to me from five and six. I've sat with some people and an hour and a half later, we just made it to when they were eight years old and they're still talking and you're saying, you don't want to hear them. No, what I'm saying is this. They are not in a position to stand and say, this is what God can do for you. They are in a position to where they need to hear what God can do for them. And some of us in this room today are trying to go witness for God, but we've never had encounter with God. And if you remember Thomas, he said, hey, I'm glad that y'all have seen him, but I didn't. And I want to see him. And so go and let me see him. I won't believe until I put my hands in his hands, until I put my hand in his side till I see the scars, I will not believe. And then Jesus stood in front of him and said, come put your hands in here and put your hand in here so that now you can be not faithless, but believing. All right. I want you to understand this. The world will never see Jesus until we've allowed Jesus to do a work in our lives to help us overcome our pain, to help us overcome our struggle. I mean, some of us are carrying wounds that we created. Some of us, like my, my friend, are carrying wounds that others have created. But the truth is, the cross heals all those wounds. God says, I'll take those struggles. So let's transition and let's go. We're going to move to what your scars should do in your life. If we go back and we review, maybe you've got your notes. It's a representation, number one, of what you've survived. It's proof that the enemy's attack against you has failed. It's a testimony of resilience. Resilience isn't that you never fall. Resilience is that you get back up. All right, you got it? I I, I love how DJ years ago at one of our youth conferences taught that resilience is like a rubber band. It pulls, 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 gets stretched, 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 but when you let it go, it comes back to its original form. All right, the truth is this. Some of you have been stretched. Some of you have been to the edge, but God held you together. That's resilience. All right, number four, it's a beacon of hope. Why do you think your scars are a beacon of hope to somebody else? Well, let's put it this way. How many of you have ever had heart surgery? Raise your hand. Anybody? Any form of heart surgery in the place? Raise your hand. Right there. Right there. Anybody else? All right. Right here. Okay. Um, do you have a scar from your heart surgery? Do you have an experience from your heart surgery? If I was standing here today saying, I'm about to have heart surgery and I'm freaked out, could you give me a word? Could you say, hey, this is what they're going to do. This is how it's going to happen? Absolutely. We had a lady in our church this past week who should be dead because of the blood clots in her life. Sitting right there, all right? Four rows back. A miracle of God literally sitting right there. Blood clots, if you don't know anything about them, break free. One, breaking free could totally ruin your life. But several broke free in her life and went through her heart, wound up in her lungs, and she's sitting right there. Here's the thing. God's goodness, yeah, is there. But you know what happened? People that knew about blood clots came in contact with her situation. And when they came in contact with her situation and she told them about her wounds, this is what's happening. My heart's racing. I have pain. I'm not healing. This isn't work. I'm not able to put pressure and all these other things. The people that had experience with the blood clot, the scars or even knowledge, 
We're able to step in and say, this is what we need to do. And immediately things were done. Two surgeries in two days, and she's sitting in our church this morning. Here's the thing. Understand this. In your life, what Satan's telling you is a failure could very well be material that God uses to rescue somebody else's life. And you may be saying, well, you know, I hate that this is part of my story. Here's the truth. Ready? Write it down. It is. Whether you hate it or not, it's still your story. It's still there. How many of you would say, I got things I want to take back? Raise your hand. You can't. How many of you think things you wish you could undo? Yeah. How many of you have said something this week that you wish never came out of your mouth? All right. It's there. You can't change it, but you can build from it. And you can see God do something from that moment. It's a beacon of hope. If somebody in the room today is about to face some blood clot surgery, they need to have an encounter with Kimberly. Why? Because she's a beacon of hope. Her story says, you can survive. I sat in the hospital and listened to them tell her she's a miracle. I'm going to tell you this now. God didn't do a miracle in your heart for you to stay silent. Every miracle that happened in the Bible, they couldn't stay quiet. Even Jesus would look at them and say, tell no one. And three verses later, you would find them telling everybody. If God has touched your life, don't sit on it. It's a story to tell. Now, I want you to do this. Write this down. Scars tell a story. That equals testimony. But I want you to understand this. You cannot make it all about you. So I, I, I wrote a few things down, and, and I, I'm going to give you a quote right here off the bat. The pain's not permanent, but the victory is. Even though it's happened to you in your life and you've gone through it and you've experienced it, even though it happened in your marriage, even though you wound up in divorce, even though you had a bankruptcy, even though it's not working out the way that you thought, that pain may be a part of you, but it's not permanent in you. Even if it lasts your entire life, there's a day you'll stand before God and all that pain will go away. The victory that you have in Jesus Christ, nobody can take from you. The mercy you've received, the grace that God has given, nobody can strip away. They can say what they want to say, spread rumors like they want to spread. But I'm telling you now, your scars of your past, the scars of your present, and the scars of your struggle are not the story of you. They're the story of survival of what Jesus did in you. You know, when we get to heaven, God will give you a new body. Anybody thankful for that? Anybody else feel like theirs is breaking down by the moment? I got on a treadmill for the first time this week and the only time this week, and now my back is in pain. The next day, I went to take a step, and it was like a 1,000 pounds trying to lift the leg. You know? The thing is, the story is not how much pain I'm in. The story is the pain is caused by a new direction in my life. I'm going to tell you this right now. If you're going to change your marriage, change your life, if you're going to change towards Jesus, it's not going to come without struggle. And in that, that struggle is not a sign of defeat. That struggle may be an attack. I went over to pray with Phil, who teaches our children, and he said, man, my computer's going crazy today. He said, I, I wrote my sermon and, 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 and went back and it, it reverted it to old edits. And then I got here and it totally erased it. And I put my arm around him and I said, I am having the most attackful moment too. So let's just pray because God must be ready to do something because there's not a struggle if a victory is not coming. And I'm telling you this right now. When Satan knows that God's at work in your life, a struggle is coming. But a victory is too. At the end of a breakdown is a breakthrough. And when you hit the bottom, you find hope. When you hit the end, you find a way. He makes water flow in desert places. That's what the Bible says. He creates a way in the wilderness. In other words, when the, all the trees are too thick and all the, the brush and all the underbrush is too hard for you to find a path, God will part the way 
In other words, you may feel like you are at your end, but you might just be at the beginning of a great work that God's going to do. The Chicago fires changed Chicago. I mean, tragedy, 9-11 sent people to church. All right, right now, we have people that don't attend our services that are still showing up all throughout the week to get food. You know what's happening? The struggles of your life bring opportunities for God to be seen. If you don't believe struggles aren't real, I'm going to throw a freebie in there. I've been talking about this passage all week long. Job chapter number two. Y'all got a second, maybe two minutes for a rabbit trail. You ready for it? All right, look at this. Here it is. Let's hit it quick. Some of you got the timer going on me. All right, Job chapter number two, look at this. I taught this to my Monday night class, then we taught it to our college age class. It says, one day the members of the heavenly court came again to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser Satan came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan and Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? This is the second time. He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God, stays away from evil, and he has maintained his integrity, even though you urged me to harm him without cause. You know what just happened in chapter one? He lost all his wealth. He lost all his kids. He lost everything, all his servants. He went from a wealthy man to a very broken man like that in just four verses. I I would be honest to say that nobody in here has had as bad a day as Job did that day. All right, amen to that? All right, now understand this and get this. That even after Job went through all that, Satan accuses, and Satan replied to Lord, verse number four, skin for skin. He's like, hey, a man will give up everything he has to save his life, but reach out and take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left the presence of the Lord, and he struck Job with terrible boils from his head to his foot. Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. I have a very queasy stomach, but let's just imagine the stuff that's coming out of his arms. Let's imagine the pain you have to be in to take glass and try to get things away. All right, are you with me? Here it is. I told them this. I'm going to tell you this. You may want to be on the top of God's A-list, but the top of God's A-list is the top of Satan's target. And here it is. He says, have you seen this man? He's good. He's a good man. You know what Satan says? Then let me have him. Let me have a shot at him. Let me try to take it away from him. And you may be sitting there today saying, I'm doing everything right. Nothing's working out. Hey, put your hand in the air and praise the God you serve. Because you may be under attack today because the enemy can't stand that he can't change who you are. Because you've decided your scars are not about him or you, but your scars are about Jesus and his wife. Look at this. His wife said to him in verse number nine, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, by the way, his wife gets a bad rep, but let's talk about this. She lost her kids. Nobody ever talks about that. If it was Job's kids, it's her kids. And I don't know any mama in the world that's going to be okay with that. And this isn't just a, I'm sick of you. It's just like, I'm sick of what you stand for. I'm sick of who you are. Because you're trying to hold on to your integrity, and it's costing us everything. Can you imagine the hurt that comes in that? Now, I've heard people preach about how she's betraying and all these other things. She's hurting. So is he. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. I, I gave him this, I've given this every time I've said this. That does not give you a right to go home and tell your wife that. All right? It's not going to work out as well for you. All right? Anybody else in here say amen to that, man? All right, good. Don't do that. Here's a question. 
Should we only accept the good things from the hand of God and never the bad? So in all this, the Bible said, Job said nothing wrong. Hey, you say, well, I didn't do anything to deserve this. And maybe that's true. But the story's not about you. The story's not about who you are. The story's about God and who God is. And if you go into the woe is me's, the world will never see God. How many of you have had a hard week? Raise your hand. How many of you are facing hard decisions? Raise your hand. Anybody in here kind of exhausted? Anybody in here trying but seem to keep, keep tripping? Hey. Anybody in here want to love but, man, you're angry? Come on now. Truth is this. If you make the story about you, you'll bleed. But if you make the story about God, Jesus bleeds. And your bleeding causes pain. His bleeding causes covering. Our bleeding causes hurt. His bleeding causes healing. And by his wounds, say it, church, we are healed. It tells a story. The testimony of Christ told a story. I'm going to actually share what I wrote down in my notes. You ready for this? Get your pens. I heard a pastor say this this week. Good disciples take good notes. If you don't believe that, that's how we got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm just saying. You wouldn't have the Bible unless somebody took notes on the things that Jesus did. So take notes. Ready? Here's the scars Jesus had. These I just wrote down six scars that I found. Number one, a scar of betrayal. Judas's kiss. That hurts, huh? Maybe that resonates. Some of you have been betrayed by people that shouldn't. You've been hurt by people that should love you. What about the, the scar of denial? Peter walked away. What about the star uh, of being let down? The disciples fell asleep. What about the church hurt? They set up a false trial. The leaders of the church hurt him. I hear about church hurt all the time. I'm not going to church because they hurt me. Every time Jesus showed up to church, they wanted to kill him. Guess what he kept doing? Going to church. And guess what? He kept going back to the same one. <gasps> you say, I can't go back there. You know what they did? Hey! You know what they did to Jesus every time he showed up? Even the disciples looked at him one time and said, why are we going back to this town? They try to stone you. Because it's not about what they're trying to do to you. It's about what God's trying to do through you for them. And if we can get a church that raises up to understand that your scars are not your shutdown, they're your stand up and show who God is moment. It would change everything. He had the scar of false rumors. When they set him up to crucify him, they didn't bring in the woman that, 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 that he healed her issue of blood. They didn't bring in the lame man that was laying by the pool that he got up to walk. They didn't bring in Lazarus who was, who was dead but now is alive. They didn't bring in any of those. They brought in people that would tell lies about them. But you know what he bears? And here's the sixth one. A scar of victory. And when you and I get to heaven and we get that new body, the Bible says that we will look at Jesus who will not have a new body. John said, I saw him in his vision when he was writing Revelation. He said, they called from heaven and they said, who is worthy to open the books? And they said that Jesus, he came out. He said, I fell to my face because there was no one. And all of a sudden, an angel touched me and said, look, there's one. And he said, and I looked and I beheld a lamb that looked like it had been led to the slaughter. And today we will walk. Today people are walking. And one day you and I will walk in a heaven of perfectness with no blemishes. We'll get a new name that doesn't even have a bad testimony. 
Nobody in heaven will be able to look at you and say, there goes Josh. Do you know what he did? You know why? Because there I won't have the name that bears the wound. I'll have the name that God has put on me. And so will you. But every time we see Jesus, we'll see that cat of nine tails that ripped the flesh from his back. We'll see thorn pierced brows where they mocked him and they hammered in that crown of thorns. And while you and I live in perfection for all eternity, his scars will represent one thing, ready? Our victory. And when he stood in front of Thomas, it wasn't a look what they did to me, Thomas, can you believe it? It was a Thomas, look at what I did for you. It was a, hey, the church might've hurt me, but they cannot hold me. My friends might've rejected me, but they don't tell my story. Hey, I, 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 I have, have, have scars called by friends, scars called by rejection, scars called by false rumors, scars called by so-called believers, scars caused by Satan, scars called by hell. The Bible says in Psalms that the bulls of Bashan, the demons of hell, while Jesus was on the cross, Psalm 24, literally gnashed on his body. He has scars that represent our sin, but the truth is this, his scars, standing in front of Thomas represented belief, represented hope, represented a change. And I'm telling you now, God has not called his church to be weak and pathetic. He's called his church to say, I have scars that show that God has pulled me through too. His scars represent that hell could not stop him, sin could not hold him, and that even the church could not keep him from God's purpose being done through his life. It gives hope to you and to me. So before you can effectively use the scars, there's three things you got to do. Chelsea, go ahead and make a mark. Three things and I'm done. There's one. Number one, you got to guilt the shame and the guilt off of you. Look at this story, if you would, in Romans chapter number five. In verse number 14, <coughs> excuse me, Paul wrote this. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. By the way, that's an identity thing. Jew or Greek, clean or unclean. Meaning God doesn't have a favorite today. God doesn't look at Sandy's sin and say, it's not so bad, I'll take her. And then look at Tammy's sin and say, it's so bad, I can't have her. The Bible says it doesn't matter who you are, your genealogy. I love this. It doesn't matter. Colossians, Paul wrote it this way. It doesn't matter if you're man, woman, Greek, or Jew. In today's term, it'd be, doesn't matter if you're black, white, Latino, if you're from China, doesn't matter what your heritage, doesn't matter your bank account, doesn't matter the sin charges against you. All that matters is Jesus. And Paul said, hey, I, whether you're circumcised, he said, what counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. So from now on, don't trouble me with these things. Here it is. For I bear on my body. What is it? The scars that show I belong to Jesus. They didn't get it on the screen. Romans 5, 17. For I bear on my body the scars that show 
I belong to Jesus. The story. Remember last week I went through some of the scars on my body and I told you the story. I'm not going to relive those because I don't want to. But the truth is, is everything you've got on you represents a part of who you are. Look at Galatians chapter number 6, verse 17. Is somebody up the screen that can run it? Verse 17. It says this. From now on, that's the verse, Galatians 17. Don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear those things on my body. 520, as he's writing, look at this. He writes to them, and he says, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds in my life. And in, Roman, in Romans 5, we understand that everywhere sin is, what does God say there is? Grace. And everywhere there's mistakes, what does God say shows up? Grace. Romans 5.20. Maybe we'll get it up there. And look at this. It says this, that right after all these things have happened, and Paul's writing, and he's going, and he's, he's pulling these things out, and he's showing them everything that he's gone through. And he's going through, hey, Adam has brought sin into the world, and by that sin, sin brought death. But God, through Jesus, brought resurrection. And now we need to understand that where the failure is, is the opportunity for God to be seen. Where grace is, sin was. Where sin is, grace is. You can find it wherever it's at. That's the testimony that you and I have, is that when we have fallen, God can put in us what we don't deserve, the love, the restoration, the reconciliation, bringing back to God so that we can stand in right standing. And we have too many people that are standing in their guilt and shame instead of realizing that when you have confessed it to God, he has taken the shame away. Colossians tells us that he took our sins and he publicly shamed them by nailing them to the cross. He canceled the records of wrongs against you. Look at this story, if you would. 2 Samuel 12, verse 22 to 25. Ready? Let's get this. How many of you know the story of David where he got on the roof and watched another woman bathe? I heard a pastor say this, by the way. I'm going to throw this out there. That is called Old Testament pornography. He's on a roof where he shouldn't be watching something he shouldn't watch, and it leads to an action he shouldn't have done. And for every, oh, I love it, it's so good, it's not mine, I wish I could give you the guy's name. He's somebody that's unknown, I stumbled across a, a podcast of him, heard him say it, and I was like, God, that's good, I told my wife about it immediately, I'm telling you about it now. You may sit there and say, my pornography is no big deal. It can only stay virtual so long, and then it'll bring out an action. And David, he goes and does this. How many of you know the rest of the story? He gets her pregnant. So what's he do? He tries to cover it up. It's a wound. How's he try to cover it up? He gets Uriah to come home from a war. A war that he should be in. By the way, guys, if we're being the man of God, we won't get caught up in the things that are not of God. And if we don't get caught up in the things that are not of God, we won't do the things that become shameful in our lives. Maybe the men in this church need to get into the battle that God has called them to in fathering and leading their homes and being a spiritual leader in the church and a spiritual leader to this generation. And if we were in the war that we were supposed to be in, maybe we wouldn't be victims to the battles we were never supposed to fight. And as we stand there and as we look at this, we realize that David, he, he plans a mass murder almost serial murder, as he sends a letter by Uriah who refused to go sleep with his wife because he had integrity and he slept at the gate. And when David realized he couldn't cover his sin, he murdered the man. By the way, write this down. It's a wound if you're trying to justify why you did what you did. All right? In other words, if I'm sitting here saying I did this because of you or I did this because of my dad or I did this because of that, that's a wound. That's not a scar. 
Blame does not show healing. I say it all the time in recovery. If they're blaming or they're hiding, they are not healing. Standing before God and being honest with God is where healing happens. And so David says in this letter, send them into the height of the battle, put them in the front lines. And when they get out there, that battalion gets out there in the midst of the battle, withdraw the rest of the army from them. And unbeknownst to him, Uriah takes his death sentence, delivers it to his general and ends up murdered along with every man that fought beside him. By the way, write this down. The enemy isn't just going after you. He's going after the ones around you too. And if you get in and you start following, it starts affecting everybody else. And as they withdraw, he gets killed. And David then goes and gets Bathsheba and brings him into the house and tries to cover it. And Nathan shows up. And in chapter 12, Nathan says, what would you do to a guy who has all these sheep but takes the sheep to the one that really loves his sheep and it's his only sheep, he nurtures the sheep and, and he's having this meal, this rich guy's having this meal and so instead of killing one of his many, he kills the one this guy loves and serves it at his thing, what would you do? And David in his arrogance, which is like most Christians today, stands up and says, that person should pay. You know what I have found that the church does? I was talking to Garrett about this today. The church loves to give grace in their areas of sin but not in the areas of sin that they've never participated in. You know, we talk about lying and it's like, yes, God has grace. We talk about gossip and yes, God has grace. We talk about adultery and the people that have never been a part of that have no grace. But when it comes to their sin, they're like, oh, Jesus can help. But when it comes to a sin they've not committed, it's, there's no mercy. All have sinned and come what? Short. And David, because you know, don't you like how God uses Nathan? David's a shepherd. Sheep matter to David. And so when the guy shows up talking about the lamb, David remembers being in the field and that sheep getting caught. The bear coming after that sheep. The lion coming after that sheep. And David fighting that lion off. He loves the sheep. And so he goes after something David loves because David's passionate about sheep to reveal something that David has hidden. I'll be honest with you. God will come after what matters most in your life until he becomes what matters most. And then here, David stands up in his arrogance, and Nathan says, you're the man. So we find in chapter number 12 this story, where one of the curses was that your son, that Bathsheba's pregnant with, is going to die. And so look at what David does. I use this in overnight, but uh, overcoming grief, but I'm going to give it to you real quick. It says, after David had pleaded with God for days that God would heal him. As David had pleaded that God would take this away, he saw his servants, who were scared to tell him that the baby had died, whispering among themselves. Look at verse number 19. And when David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served some food and ate. His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you have stopped your mourning and you're eating again. And David replied, I fasted and I wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. Can you imagine the guilt? of knowing that that baby's dying because of you. It's probably the same guilt you'll feel um, if you lose your job as a result of a sin. Or the same guilt you feel 
if somebody walks out of the marriage because of decisions you've made. It probably matched the same guilt you would feel if somebody died after an argument before you got time to reconcile it. It would probably be the same guilt you feel when there's a final consequence to something that you've done. And and can we be honest? Please write this down. While we preach the grace of God, the grace of God does not stop the consequences of sin. It just simply stops the judgment. Will you please write that in your notes? Just because you're going through something right now doesn't mean that God abandoned you. When we make decisions, it sets off some courses in our life. Would you agree today that if I were to take my phone and throw it, that eventually my throne of my phone would hit something? There's a possibility of it hurting what it hits and breaking the phone itself. How many of you would agree with that simple logic? Say yes. Then understand this. When you make a choice to click and watch it, or you make a choice to pick up the phone or text and say what you shouldn't say, when you make a choice to put in your veins what shouldn't be there or inhale in your lungs what shouldn't happen, when you make the choice, the consequences are not God's fault. Let's write it down. Most of what happens in the world, God had nothing to do with. It's a, it's a reaction to our choices, but God does not give up just because we made bad decisions. And so David says, hey, I wept and I asked God for grace, but in verse 23, but why should I fast when he's dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day but he cannot return to me. You know what he's saying? I can move on, but I can't go back. I can go to hope, but I can't go back. And if you look at this, then David comforted Bathsheba for the first time in the Bible. Bathsheba's called his wife and not Uriah's. And he slept with her, and here it is. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And David named him what? How many of you know that name? If not... He's one of the wisest, richest men that have ever lived. He wrote Proverbs and is supposed to have wrote Ecclesiastes, one of the two of the most knowledgeable books in the Bible. I want you to get this, and I wrote this down because it was so powerful in my life. Right after the death of David's son that was conceived in adultery comes the conception of the man that God would send his own son to be born through. Without missing a verse, God's grace shows up. From the death and consequence of sin to birth of the wisest person that's ever lived, from the same two people who failed, from the same two people who had wounds, from the same two people who had shame. I said that to say this, and I've got it circled in my notes. God may not approve of what you and I have done, But what we have done will not stop what God is willing to do in our lives beyond the sin. I'm going to say this, and and I want you to understand this. Please grab it and hold it tight. Most people today will not stand in confidence about God saving someone else's soul because they're not living in the salvation that God has given their own. Shame and guilt will keep you from a bold testimony. Some of you in this room have had abortions. And every time we say that word, immediately shame and guilt come flooding into your life. Some of you in this room have had affairs, drug addictions, alcoholism, and other things that when we talk about it, if you're not careful, shame and guilt will flood into your life. And the only reason that shame and guilt are present in your life, by the way, write it down, neither come from the Lord, neither come from God. They are not tools that he uses to heal you. 
They are weapons that the enemy uses to silence you. They are not tools that he uses to get the word out. They are weapons the enemy uses to keep the word in. And the truth is this. If you have been set free, the Bible says it's the truth that sets you free. At some point, we got to be honest and we got to be real. You may be married to the love of your life now, but it might have come through the worst decisions you've ever made in your life. And you, yes, need to call what happened sin, but you've got to understand that in between the verse of the consequence of sin comes the verse of God's grace of restoration. And you may say, I don't like where I've been. We need to get into a church where we're not cared. It wasn't an affair. All right. I'll say this. I've had this in my life. An affair is a joyous occasion that people go to. And so we'll try to dumb it down. And we'll try to say, I had an affair. The truth is this. I sinned. How many of you can say that about something in your life today? I sinned. Say it with me. Ready? I sinned. Call it what it is. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. So you don't have to stand and say, I'm ashamed of my sin. No, you shouldn't have done it. But Jesus was on the cross not to shame you, but to get the shame off of you. He didn't say, Father, curse them for what they're doing. He said, Father, forgive them. They have no clue what they're doing. And in this life we live, in the churches we live in, people try to say, hey, you've been molested, keep your mouth shut. Hey, you've stolen, keep your mouth shut. Hey, you're a thief, keep your mouth shut. Hey, you're a doubter, you're a denier, you're a betrayer, you're a church hurt person, you're a judgmental, you're this, so keep your mouth shut. And Jesus stands in front of Thomas and says, hey, believe, believe, believe. It is not about you. It's about the risen Savior today. And in our lives, we've got to understand that I don't have to be proud of where I've been. But my story can help others. Anybody else in the church today very glad you didn't live in the time that they were recording stories in the Bible? I thought about that the other day. I was like, oh man, my story would be right there with David's. You know, here's what Josh did. Aren't you glad that? But the truth is, is how many lives have been rescued by the man that was after God's own heart? How many kings restored to their throne? How many pastors restored to their ministries? Husbands restored to their wives, wives restored to their husbands, people restored to their purpose. Because they did not hide, they stood. I love that when the angel appeared in the tomb and when Jesus appeared, to Mary in the garden. He didn't say, tell the disciples he's risen and he's coming. He said, tell the disciples he's risen, go see. And they go and they say, he's risen. And where do they run? They run back to the tomb. Why? Because the tomb represents where they sealed him, but it also represents where God revealed him to the world as a true son of God. And at some point, we've got to understand that we have got to get bold with our testimony. And our testimony is not one of perfection. People do not buy it when we try to pretend that we're something we're not. We're not a perfect church. All right? Matter of fact, write this down. The person that has the most to say about everybody else's sin normally has the most to hide about their own. The truth is this. I've got enough sin in my life that I don't need to talk about yours. But I'm thankful I have a Savior in my life that has covered my sins. Though they be as scarlet, they shall be as white as anybody else say. I am thankful today that while this is my testimony, it is not my story. 
Because my story is the moment that Jesus came in and changed everything. I wrote this down. Ten people that encountered Jesus. Matter of fact, can I give you a statement? You will not find in the Bible a place where someone came to Jesus guilty, not an accusation, guilty, and left guilty. Can I give you my list? The tax collector that was hidden in the tree. What was his name? Zacchaeus. Y'all remember Zacchaeus was a, and a wee little man was he. How many of you know that song? All right, cool. What about Matthew? They were thieves. They met Jesus. Were they thieves anymore? What about the woman at the well? Hey, what about the woman caught in adultery? Hey, what about the, 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 the demon-possessed man in the graveyard? What about Barabbas, who was a rapist and a murderer? What about the thief on the cross? What about the soldiers that nailed him to the cross? What about the denier Peter, the doubter Thomas, and the persecutor Paul? Every single one of them were guilty until they came into the presence of Jesus and they left free. If the truth has set you free, you will be free, right? But if the Son has set you free, what's the Bible say? You're free indeed. The world will love to keep the label on you. You know why they want the label on you? Because it keeps the power of God trapped in you. We need people that stand up in testimony and say, my identity is not where I've been. My identity is what Jesus has done in my life. You remember the woman at the well running back to the city? Come and see a man who told me everything. What about Peter standing on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter number two, saying, this is the Jesus, this is he, he is this, talking to him, you den of vipers, look at, look at what you did, you killed him, but he died for you. And, and starting the biggest revival that's ever been recorded in history, it's still going today. As we stand here today, we're a result of the denier standing, no longer denying who Jesus is. I don't know about this, but I can't say it for you, but I'm so glad that Jesus has set me free of a lot of things in my past. Anybody else in here today? If that's the case, would you just say, I'm free? Come on now. How many of you are free? Say, I'm free. Let it be heard. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm not this person anymore. I'm free because of what God has done. Get the guilt and shame off of you. Number two, get Jesus in the story. Too many people have their church in the story, their pastor in the story, themselves in the story, but they don't have Jesus in the story. One of my favorite stories is the boat being rocked and Peter calling out and saying, let me walk. If that's you, Lord, let me walk. One of my favorite parts of the story is not the walk on the water, but that when Jesus brought Peter back, what did he do? He got in the boat. And when he got in the boat, what happened to the storm? Stop. Some of you are in a lot of chaos because you got everybody else's opinion in your story. This is what you can be, and this is what you should be, and this is what you should never be, and this is what you should never be allowed to do again, and this is who you are. Get Jesus in the boat. Stop worrying about the waves and the wind and the noise. Get Jesus in the boat. Get Jesus in the story. You know, I, I remember sitting with a man and, and them telling me why I should have never taken the pulpit again, and I said, what about David? And they said, do you want his life? His life was terrible. His life was hard because of what he did. And I said, if my life has to be hard because of what I've done, then so be it. But I still want to be the one that God says in the book of Acts was a man after God's own heart. 
And I believe that even on the other side of all the negative things you and I have done, stand the story of God's grace. And who better to tell that Jesus sets people free than a Barabbas who didn't deserve it, a thief who didn't deserve it, a soldier that drove the nails in him that stands at the cross and says, surely this was the Son of God. Who better than the ones that betrayed him to be the ones that stand and proclaim him? And Paul said it. I have seen the Lord. I have seen him. And now I boast about my weaknesses. I stand in these scars. I tell people my story. Why? Because if you encounter Christ, you got to tell the world that you're not the same anymore. Not because of what you could do, because all we're good at is failing, but because of what Jesus did, because he covers our imperfections. And number three, get the shame and guilt off, get Jesus in the story, and go help the wounded. Man, you know, you know how many people, when all this went down and I stood in front of the church and told the truth, you know how many people I found out had done what I'd done that I had no clue they had done what I'd done? You know how healing it was to sit down with certain ministers and them not look at me and say, I can't believe you, and start to say, instead, let me tell you about me. I stood at Mobile Life House this past month with a pastor that was talking about the Johnny Hunt conference that got canceled and he's, he's been kicked out. And if anybody's ever followed his story, he's, he's written one of the most effective books on leadership that's ever been written. Helped tons of people. But in 2010, had a failure. And if you talk to people within his own denomination, he should never pastor again. So he plans his conference that's been going on for 23 years, 33 years, and plans it at the place it always is, and, and they came out with a statement that he wasn't welcome there. They were removing his titles, and nobody could ever do it, and so now he's at a different place, and he wrote something that I read the other day saying, at a time when I feel like I shouldn't do a men's conference because I've been through one of the hardest years of my ministry, I now find it even more important to stand in front of people and talk about the second chances of God, and so Here's what we're doing at a different location. As I'm looking at that and I'm thinking to myself, the grief and the hurt that that person's gone through. Me and that pastor were talking about it at Mobile Life House and he said, do you want to go, brother? And I was like, I'm thinking about going. He said, I think somebody needs to get down there and support the man. So I went home and I told my wife. My wife's like, are you going? I was like, I, th I think I'm, I'm thinking about going. Just because I know what it's like to be canceled. But I also know what it's like for the earth to counsel you, but heaven to say, he's still mine. I know what it's like for people to say, you can't. But for God to declare, I can. And those that are in Christ are what? New creations. The man looked at me and he said, Josh, I want to tell you a story about my family. And I'm not going to tell his story he said this statement, this past mobile life house, who am I to stand and judge you? When I've been through this, my kids have been through this, and this has happened, and I've wanted to quit ministry here and here and here and here and here. You know what happened in my heart? Healing. Because for once you're standing in front of a man that instead of telling you how bad it is, starts telling you, I've been there. And what would happen in our churches instead of everybody looking around saying, can you believe where they've been? If the people that have actually been there would step up and say, I've been wounded too. 
the people that have fallen. The Bible says you who are elders. You know what makes you an elder? Wisdom. You've learned. I, I don't know about you, but the greatest education you've got is not from what you process in the Bible. It's what God reveals to you through life. And how many of you would say that your greatest life lessons have come through your own stupidity? Come on now. How many of you would be honest and say that there were days of your life you didn't think you could go on anymore? That you didn't think you deserved it? That all of hell was screaming your name and you thought that that's what you deserved. But the grace of God came whispering in and brought a mercy that you didn't. And I am thankful today that when God looked down from his throne and saw a tormented, sinful world, that he sent somebody to the wounded. And I promise you this now. I believe Grace Community Church will never be a place of perfection. Will never be a place to where people can come in here and act like they've got it all together. I like Matthew West's song and echoes scriptures. Didn't Jesus say that church should look more like a hospital? So where people would come in and say, I've messed up too. And I'll be honest with you. Just because you're not messing up where you used to mess up doesn't mean you have, don't have another mess somewhere. I, I, I've confessed this a lot lately. Even to my wife last night we were talking about it. I didn't dream I would come out on the other side of this so bitter and angry. But now where this isn't something that I'm struggling with, this is. You know, like, anger is a messed up emotion that can mess you up. And you're not going to come to a church where I stand here. I've had people say, as I share my testimony again and again and again, that people don't need to hear your story. And I say, bull. They totally do. What doesn't need to be focused on the negative? What's negative? What's negative? What I have done is, but what God has done in my family is not. And what God is doing in this place is not. I mean, anybody else been here for the past three years? How many of you were here three years ago? Raise your hand. How many of you saw where you would walk into this place and you could fit the whole church in four rows? You know, it, it almost was like you were going to a funeral every Sunday. Am I right? Come on now. People would say, what happened? Now I get emails saying, man, every time I walk through the door, it's, you can feel God's love. Every time I'm there, it's like God's message gets powerful and more powerful and more powerful. I'm going to tell you this right now. It proves the verse that he that began the good work in you will perform it until the day Christ returns. There's no room in that verse for God to change his mind. If he started it, he will finish it. You are not lost. You are not dead. Your story is not over. There's a savior. There's a savior. There's a savior. And today he wants to take your wounds and make them scars so that you can stand someday and say, look at my scars. Believe in him because I am this dirty, yet he chose me anyway. I am this broken. Yeah, he used me. Some of you are drug addicts right now. And I sit here with joy in my heart. Knowing that you're going to be a preacher one day that people cannot sit under their sermon and be comfortable in their sin because God's going to use your story to liberate them. Some of you are at the point of divorce right now. And I sit there and say, Oh, look at what God's going to do. He's going to do a miracle. He's going to do a work. 
not to call you to silence, but to call you to the wounded, to call you to the broken. Y'all remember that old hymn, Rescue the Perishing, Care for the Dying. Why? Jesus is calling. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody look around. What are you so ashamed of? What are you feeling so guilty for? That you need to hear these words. There is no guilt beyond salvation. No guilt beyond redemption. No shame beyond the cross. You have been set free in Jesus. And while we do not need to celebrate what you've done, let's celebrate how God used your mistake. We don't celebrate the death of Uriah, but we celebrate the mercy of God that a Solomon can be born by two total sinners like Bathsheba and David. What can be born from this circumstance in you? What can be born from your promiscuity, from your lifestyle of abandonment of God, what can be born? If you would simply, like David, turn it back over to God, confess, worship, and know that God uses broken things to show his power. Some of you, even though you've been saved, have made the story all about you. You want people to see how good you are and and, and how great you've got it and how perfect you are. Have y'all met one of those believers that I know more than the, and about the word than you do? You met those people? You know what? Hey, hey, listen. Get Jesus in the story and get out of the way. You know why, you know why people aren't coming to God? Because we put our church names in front of people trying to build our churches instead of putting Jesus' name in front of people trying to build a kingdom. Our church can't change your life absent Jesus Christ. But put God in the story, anything is possible. How many of you have heard that? Anything is possible to someone who believes? How many, what about that? With men, this may be impossible, but with God, what, what does it say? All things are possible. You say, but I'm trapped. No, Jesus said, if, if, if you tell the truth, the truth will set you free. But if you give it to God, the Son, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. No. We need a church that says, look at this scar. Look at this mistake. Look at what God did. Look at what God gave me. He humbles the wise, but exalts the weak. Paul said, I begged him to take my thorn away, but he said, my grace is sufficient. And so now Paul said, I boast of my weakness. Because in my weakness, he is made strong. You may be in the room saying, I can't do this anymore. Best place in your life you can possibly get. If you find that when you get to the I can't, you start turning it over to God, believing he can. Some of us today don't need to act like you have the perfect marriage. I've got a hundred marriages I can introduce you to that don't need the perfect marriage. They need the marriage that has survived. They need the marriage that has made it. Howard and Sandy, they need the ones that almost wound up divorced and stayed separated for a long time, but now you're together fostering kids. 
They need the people that stand in front of him and doesn't say, this is what I know about God, but instead says, this is what God has done for me, and this is what God has shown me. We don't need a generation of evangelizers that go out and tell the world a story they can't understand. We need a world of evangelizers, a church of evangelizers that go out and say, look at what he's done for me, and he's promised that he'll do it for you too. He's promised to rescue you. He's promised to be with you. He's promised to never leave you, never forsake you. And so today, we're calling you to lay down your shame, lay down your guilt, get Jesus in the story, and go help someone who is wounded today. Here's the good news. If your wounds and scars don't match their wounds, the Bible says everything we need is in this church today. People come to me all the time and they'll say something. And I'll be like, you need to talk to DJ. That dude's messed up like you've messed up. Amen. Right? Somebody comes to you you're like, well, I've, I've never had an affair. Hey, I'm here. Let's talk. I can tell you what Satan's about to do to you, but I can tell you how God will show up. I can tell you the guilt and shame, but I can tell you the healing. I can tell you what to look for and what to watch out for. You're not alone. Some of you say, I've been betrayed and I can't stand it. Hey, I got a wife that can tell you some good resources. I got somebody that can stand by you. What would happen if our billboards for our churches didn't say this is where you belong, but instead say sinners are welcome here because all that attend are messed up. They fell, but we know Jesus. Stand with me. Who's got scars in the place today? Throw a hand in the air. Who's got scars in the place today? Throw a hand in the air. Who's been set free today? Say, I'm free. Oh, no, 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 no. Say, I'm free. free. Celebrate who Christ has been in your life. Hey, today we need a church that's leaving in victory, saying, God, I'm thankful. Like we sang earlier, I'm thankful for what you've done in my life. No, it's not the circumstance of which I should learn. I've heard my wife say this. I would never go back and ask for these things to happen again. And I would, brother, they never had happened. But I am thankful for what God has done through them. Do you think that God loved killing his son? Or do you think that God loved the possibilities of having you and me as a son and daughter? And even though it hurt him to wound him, He did it. Why? So that you and I could be free. I'm not thankful for it, but I'm thankful for what he did in the midst of it. Amen. God bless you. Grab somebody's hand. Let's close in a word of prayer. You can make it. Break free. There we go. There you go. Church, we love you. I wish we could stand up here and preach about roses and rainbows and unicorns and how great life is, but life's not always great, right? I wish we could say, oh, you're going to be a millionaire. You're going to make it in prosperity gospel. But I know this. You may never be a millionaire, but you've got a provider. You may fall flat on your face this week, but you've got a helper. You may be hurting, but you got a healer. You may be lost, but there's a Savior. For whatever need is represented in your heart, heaven has an answer. 
today, we don't leave perfect. We leave protected. Don't hide his story in your life. Don't hide it. Tell the world what God has done for you. Amen. God, thank you for the day. Thank you for the moment. Give us safety as we go. But God, I pray courage and boldness are the result of today. To where we come out of hiding to show the world that there's a perfect God who loves imperfect people perfectly. Who heals, who protects, who leads, who guides, who purposes, who rescues. May we leave here beacons of hope with scars of survival that amplify the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit that's present in our lives. And may we as a result see revival around us from the revival you've done in us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things and everybody said, amen.